Uh, this is the tail end of the series. This is the 10th week. Can you imagine the 10th week that we've been in this series called The Meaning of Life? And as we've looked through this thing, as we've, we've gone through it, that the words that just kind of permeated there across that intro of that last chapter, we've kind of alluded to the fact that there's going to be kind of a conclusion. It's gonna, all the pieces are going to come together. Uh, as the old adage goes, you save the best for last. Uh, you, you, you have the best part of the meal at the end. We just uh, got to go, I, I performed a wedding of a friend, and, and they had one of those, like, 11 course meals like you just brought all these little parts and eventually uh, when we got to the main course it was a steak and it was delicious I guess there was something after that dessert but that wasn't really important to me I just got the steak and I nailed it boy that was good uh, the same is true in Ecclesiastes uh, the rest of the book has explored the meaning of our fleeting life now the bottom line is for us to keep aligned with God's will and we're gonna see that today uh, today he's talking to us. There's much that you want to do in your life. There's probably many things that you don't want to do. He's saying, I have gone many places. I have tried everything. I have gone there, and I don't ever want to go there again. Uh, my sister and my brother-in-law are here with us today. Uh, one of the stories that has been brought back to my mind over and over by my brother-in-law is my sister is six years younger than me. And she's also probably the most athletic of my sisters. And so often I would go, uh, we love to go skiing. And so I would go and I would have to bring my kid's sister, six years younger than me, along skiing. And so I would go rocking down the side of the mountain. And if she caught up, that was great. If she didn't, I didn't care, ultimately, is what it came down to. And so she learned how to ski pretty quickly uh, or she was going to be left on the side of the hill. I'm not terribly proud of that. That's just the reality of the situation. Uh, my brother-in-law also has informed me that I ruined my sister when it comes to walking through a grocery store. She is terrified of walking through the grocery store. I did not remember this because it was not traumatic to me, uh, but I would walk through the grocery store and if she was in front and I was following my mom, as soon as my mom would kind of duck around the corner, I would take the grocery cart and ram her on the back of her legs as she went through the grocery store. Now, I'm so glad you called me to be your pastor. But seeing her skittishly dance through the grocery store makes me regret a little bit having uh, treated my sister in that way. I went on my honeymoon in 2001 and we went to Cancun on our honeymoon, and we went there. It was an all-inclusive resort. We decided to go off the resort uh, one day, and, and we went to this uh, pyramid called Chichen Itza. And it has all these steps that go up the side of it. But on the way there, the bus stopped, and it allowed us uh, to get out, and they took us to this deep pool that is called uh, a sea note, or this deep pool down in the ground of this gorgeous water. You can see what well, seems like a 1,000 feet. And actually, the Mayans used to store their jewels there. They would throw them in. They would, there was a worship place, and they would throw everything in there. And then us uh, explorers uh, would come, and we would uh, take over the area. And there's no jewels down there at the bottom anymore. It's been stolen. It's all been ripped out of that area. Uh, but nonetheless, you can still go swimming there. And so we did that. So you swim in this gorgeous pool. There's all these beautiful... Uh, things hanging down, I don't know what they're called, vines, I guess, they're just kind of hanging everywhere, and you have this gorgeous thing, and then on the side, they have this rocky steps that you can climb up to, and there's a, like a diving platform 
up there. So if you'll imagine me climbing up to maybe where the organ loft starts, something like that, about that height, and, then, and we both, because we were newlyweds, we held hands and we jumped off this thing into the water, and it was amazing. It was awesome. Like you jumped, you splashed. It seemed like as you jumped off the edge that that water went forever, and you didn't know exactly how deep it would go. It was pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, we were also there, though. There was someone else who decided that they would climb up to the top of it, and this guy, I don't know if he has an Olympic medal or not, but he dove off of this platform and just do these beautiful like dives and like lay out and then just, you know, the little splash bloop, at the bottom when he got to the bottom. So because I figured I could do that, I decided to climb up to the top and I'd never dove off of anything more than the side of a pool. And so I decided, well, he's just diving. I'm going to do a flip off of this thing. And <laughs> yeah. And so... Uh, and so I did. And so I, I dove and I, I flipped over and then I thought that I would stop, but I didn't stop. I actually flipped once, twice, and then when I opened my eyes, the water hit me in the face um, and, and like it felt like it blew my ears up and my eyes were stinging for days and like I kind of regret doing that. I don't, think, I don't think that was the wisest choice. Let me give you another example. This one might be a little more serious. I, I do a lot of my message prep uh, off-site. A lot of times I need to just kind of get away from the building because I'm not responsible. If I can go to uh, Tim Hortons or McDonald's and there's trash that needs to be taken out, that's their problem, that's not my problem. I can just kind of focus on what I need to focus on. Uh, we were traveling and we were out in uh, Missouri and I uh, was doing some of my sermon prep at a McDonald's that was near our, our family's home. And as I'm sitting there in the McDonald's, uh, if you go to McDonald's, there's often a group of seniors who will come in, and it became clear that I was definitely in their spot. There was no question, uh, because as I'm sitting there, kind of had my Bible spread out and working at my computer, they all just kind of came in around me. And like, before I knew it, like, if here's the seat, here's one seat, here's another seat, and then here's the other one, you know, facing me, and, they, and this particular uh, elderly lady, she sat down, and, and she's facing me, and like, I'm kind of typing, I was like, oh, we're going to do this, okay, all right, let's go, all right. And so, um, as I'm sitting there kind of working through my message, and she makes a comment, she says, are you a seminary student? And I said, no, I'm actually a pastor, I'm working on my sermon for Sunday, and we had this good conversation, and as her friends came in, um, we kind of carry on a little bit, and then she, uh, then, as I'm now in the middle of the huddle, uh, starts carrying on the conversation with the others. I kind of tried to go back to work, but the conversation is now kind of all around me, and I'm in the middle of it. And uh, it was right when the riots in Baltimore were going on. It was, there was a number of things that were, that racial tension was at an all-time high, uh, in my opinion. And as I'm sitting there, this, this group of people who had just told me how great it was that I was a young pastor and pouring myself into God's Word, they used the N-word 30 times in that conversation. And I sat there and kind of, I was like, oh, I'm right here. You know, like I could not believe what I was hearing. And I typed up my sermon, closed my laptop, and left. And as I'm leaving, like I'm, I'm in the parking lot, kind of like, you, you, you got this struggle that's going aside. I can't believe you just walked away from that. I can't believe you did. Why didn't you engage? You know better. They need to see some young people step up and actually deal with this issue. Why didn't you do that? Like, kind of punching and beating myself up. But I walk away from that today. 
with regrets. Why didn't, I, why didn't I stand up for what I believe in? Why was I too af- afraid? Why was it that, that I was afraid that maybe they wouldn't be interested in what I'd have to say or they would disregard it? Well, you're just some kid, you didn't understand the world or, or whatever it was. Whatever those fears were, I didn't engage. I didn't step in. Man, they're not gonna listen to me. And so I wanna ask you this question today as we get started. I wanna ask you, if you could go back and talk to yourself, what would you tell you. If you could go back and talk to yourself before that event, whatever that event is for you, what would you tell you? And in some ways, that's kind of the lens that I want you to look at here because what Solomon is doing as we're getting to this tail end of the book, he is giving advice. He's he's saying, if you could do anything right, listen to me. I can help you through this. I'm the wisest man that ever lived. I want you to live without regret. It's the first fill-in for us today, to live without regret. We are in this sermon series. We're just finishing it up. We're putting a bookend on it called The Meaning of Life. The meaning of life is an important thing that we all wrestle with. We all try to figure out. And what Solomon has done here is put together an entire book about it. He wrote about it. He looked at everything that was going on under the sun, he said. And he uses his five senses to determine how we're going to handle the issues that we deal with day in and day out. But he's going to come to some conclusions that your five senses aren't going to be enough. And this is your first week with us. If you're just jumping in, I'll tell you, you haven't missed anything. Today is still rich with, with theology for us to get behind, to understand if we look at the world under the sun, we're going to come up blank. And the the point that he is pointing us to is that there is one who is above the sun. There is one who can handle that, who can take care of that. And God himself is interested in your life and in mine. And he wants us to live without regrets. Chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, we're around page 702, that area. Uh, If you're using a uh, tablet or using something like that, thumb your way to where we're at and we'll be there together. Chapter 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However, many years anyone may live. Let them enjoy it all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything is come is meaningless. Verse 9. You are young. Be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Verse 10, so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for the youth and vigor are meaningless. The beginning of this chapter opens up. We, we often say things like, what a beautiful day it is. Don't you just love these sunny days? And we've had a stretch of them here in Buffalo and it's ironic, don't you think, that most of us are starting to complain about how sunny it is and how hot it is. And I'm in the middle of it too, like with sweat. I helped someone move yesterday and I came close to you know, having a heat stroke and I'm like taking a knee out next to the U-Haul truck and like, man, it was, it was pretty hot out there. But we say, man, look at this beautiful day. And Solomon is referencing here, like, when you wake up in the morning and everything works, there's the bluebird on your shoulder and you're walking through the day and everything is roses and you can take, you can see this person because they come out the front door and they stand on the front steps and they they take a big deep breath because it is a gorgeous and beautiful day. And the names of James Brown, you say, yow! 
I feel good. My son loves that song. It's like his anthem right now. For whatever reason, if we put it on the iPod and we play it, and he hears that, yo! He just, like, he kicks back, he's ready, and he dances around the room like, I feel good. Right? Solomon encouraged us to rejoice in all of our days that we are fortunate to live. If we live to be a ripe old age, we're to rejoice in all of those days, all of those years, and, and rejoice in the ordinary nature of life. A Tony Morida, in his book called How to Turn the World Upside Down, he calls Christians to a new normal. Here's his quote. Most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality, that's what's going to change this world. A, a lot of times we get the idea that today's the big day. Today something extraordinary is going to happen today, but really it's in the regular everyday things of life. When we live that out and we live the gospel out in that context, that is what is going to change the world. Verse 10 says to banish anxiety from your heart, cast off all the troubles of your body, live without regrets. So how could we possibly live a life without regrets? How do we live without regrets? The first one I give you is live realistically. Live realistically. Beginning in chapter 12 now, verse 1. I want you to see that actions have consequences. If we're going to live realistically, we've got to see that actions have consequences. Check this out. Verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach you and you will say, I will find no pleasure in them. He's setting you the precedent of what he's about to teach on. He's saying, remember the days of your youth. Let's be realistic here. Those days aren't going to last forever. And the actions that you have, that you're taking now have consequences. Here's some of the consequences. Verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds remain after the rain, verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades, when the people rise up at the sound of birds but all of those songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets and the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go to the streets. Remember, it says, remember the Creator in the days of your youth. Scripturally, when we say remember, we're not talking about a mental like database check. Like, yeah, I remember her. She was in high school. Remember she had blonde hair. No, she had brown hair. Like, no. That's not what remember is talking about here. Remember is like a deep action word when you see it in the Old Testament. It means that I'm taking something into my will and I'm doing something about it. I'm taking something into memory, yes, but now I'm doing something about it. Remember in 1 Samuel when God remembers Hannah. And Hannah is praying earnestly. She says, I cannot have a child. And, and God, will you look upon me? And it says what? God remembered Hannah. God allowed her to have a child. It was the very next thing that happens. It is an action word. When we remember the Lord in the days of our youth or in our far youthful days, it means that we're going to embrace him. We will serve him. We will act out what it means for us to live the life that he would have us to live. Remember him in the days of your youth. Our actions have consequences. As we've 
listed someone who is the oldest person that you know. Go and talk to that person and ask them whether the consequences are there for the actions that you take today. Ask them whether or not uh, what you do now matters uh, for a long time in your life. And I'm not talking about all the, the bad decisions that you make, but there is those there, and I think that Solomon is dealing with that. But there's also the good decisions that you can make and the positive things that you can do. And those decisions, we're not talking about only for 20-year-olds. There's decisions that are made as 70-year-olds that actually matter, and they have consequences as well. There's many of you who are thinking through the lens of what I'm talking about. And yes, we are free to do what we choose. The first part of this talks about living without regrets. But there are consequences to that is what Solomon is teaching. You are free to drink if you'd like to drink. But if you continue to drink at a certain level, at some point you will not be free to not drink. Do you see where that goes? You are free to spend money that you do not have. But at some point, you will get to a point where those creditors are coming after you that you will be in bondage now because of the actions that you've made, the consequences that you are in bondage as well. You are free to keep yourself at an arm's length from your entire family and just focus on the community of friends that you have around you. But at some point, when those friends start to disappear and you've ostracized yourself from your family, now you're reaping the consequences of those decisions. Are you following me? But at the same time, the opposite is also true. If you remember your Creator in the days of your youth, you will set up for decades to come and into eternity. If you abstain from sexual immorality and you marry a godly spouse, you are setting yourself up for a positive consequence. If you select the right college for which you would attend, you will choose the vocation that God has created for you to do if you are remembering the Creator in the days of your youth. And these are, I'm saying these things, friends. Some of the more elderly in this room are nodding their heads emphatically that this is true. You'll not have to overcome various vices and damages and hurts and scars if you follow this advice. You know, the most foolish person is the one who will not learn from other people's mistakes. You know, as a, as a teenager, when your parents tell you, yes, I understand, you're in love with this person, and, and, and I've been there before, and you're looking back and you say, no, you haven't been there before. Yes, they have. There's nothing new under the sun. And when your parents and your grandparents say, I know that that financial decision looks good to you now, but you're like, well, things are different now. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. This allegory that's been painted out here is one of the most beautiful and realistic allegories that you see in Scripture. Solomon is looking realistically at his own body and making this comparison to a house, an old shambled house that has begun to fall down. Check out some of these things. It says, the watchmen of the house tremble. He's talking about his own arms and legs as they begin to tremble, as they begin to shake. My wife and I were turning the corner on our street the other day, and there was this elderly man who was, he was trying to get down. He just wanted to take a picture of a flower, it appeared like. And, and it was a hot day, I guess. He had his shirt off, and like, he, he was just shaking, just trying to take this picture. And like, I mean, it, 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 he was coming apart. But he got down on one knee, took the picture, got back up. I was able to turn the corner and say, okay, he's still good. We can move on. When he says the mighty men stoop, like this man, he's referring to the shoulders and the legs and the back that start to slump as age begins to take its time and become feeble. When he says the grinding ones stand idle, uh, most scholars think he's talking about teeth, 
Uh, them not being able to grind together anymore begins to be a problem. Uh, the phrase, uh, those who look through the windows grow dim. The idea that your eyesight begins to go away. Uh, the sound of the grinding has stopped, that meaning that the, the hearing has gone. You can no longer hear maybe the mill down the street. The hearing is going away. Everything is starting to deteriorate away. It's an allegory that fittingly describes what he was living through at that point, what he in his old age was able to say about the world that he was living in, but it should be an allegory that motivates us to serve God in our youth, whatever that age looks like. You know that Caleb was in his youth when he said, let me at him. I want to get some Philistines, not Philistines. He was going into the land. He's going into the land of Canaan, some Canaanites. He said, let me at him. He's still in his youth at 70 or older. He said, let me at him. I want a piece of that. And our youth means maybe our teens and our 20s or whatever years that we have left, remember him. Very practically speaking, we are making changes here as a church to kind of fulfill this type of language. If we are going to be a church that's going to be around, in 10 years it'll be 200 years that this church has been in existence. If this church is going to be around for 200 years or 210 years or 220 years, we are going to have to, and we are making those changes and making those adjustments to be realistic about this. Actions have consequences. <coughs> if we don't focus on the next generation, this church will not be here. It just will not be here. Someone was forward-thinking enough to think about the next generation in 1900, because this church was here in 1826. They were thinking about the next generation. In 1950, they were thinking about the next generation. There were decisions made. There's a gymnasium built. There were things done here that said, you know what, we're going to think about that next generation. We're going to pour ourselves into them, because a church that lives with no regrets knows that it put all of its eggs in that basket, that we're going to pour ourselves, we're going to carry on a heritage for the next generation so that they will do the things that we have so deeply, intrinsically built into our lives. The idea of glorifying God by making disciples of all nations. Those three relationships are living upward, inward, and outward. We want our kids to do that, so we're going to have to pour ourselves into that. Let's be realistic. If we don't do that, then that legacy will not continue. And that's exactly what Solomon is teaching here. He says, you will need to live a life of realistic if you're going to live without regrets. So how do we live without regrets? We live realistically. Secondly, we live responsibly. We live responsibly. Picking up in verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, if anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. There are some scholars that believe that this is another author that came in and kind of tagged this in at the end of Solomon's writing to say, this is the author, this is who was, was writing this. I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I think Solomon's taking a step back He's looking at, he's talking in the third person. He is letting us know as he's speaking in this grand finale, as he's getting his point across, he says, I don't want to brag. I don't want to sound like I'm not humble here, but I, I need you to know who I am. I need you to know that God has given me wisdom in this, and I am the wisest man other than Jesus Christ. I'm the wisest man to walk the earth, so you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. We need to pay attention to him now as well. 
He has spent his entire life researching and preparatory study for what he is going to say. In a similar fashion, if you are sick and ailing and you go in and speak to your doctor, uh, they have spent their life uh, learning what is the best practice, learning what is the, the best steps that you should take. If you find out the bad news that you've got cancer and you go in and speak to your doctor and he tells you, these are the steps that you need to take. We found it early. We can help you. Here's what you need to do. It is the responsibility of that doctor to tell you that you are sick. It is the responsibility of that doctor not to come in and sugarcoat things for you and tell you, you know what, I think we're going to be okay here. Just do, do your normal things. If that's not really what he believes, then as the responsibility has been broken. But that responsibility for him is to do that and to take those steps. We trust their analysis. This is probably in the most goofy way demonstrated in a movie called Tommy Boy, which is going back a little ways for many of us. There's a movie called Tommy Boy, and there's this, these two friends, Tommy and his friend Richard, get in a fight out in the middle of the street, and they start hitting each other. Well, actually, just Richard hits Tommy over and over and over again, and, and, and Tommy doesn't seem to care, and eventually Richard picks up a stick, a two-by-four, and swats him across the face with it. And then the next scene opens up and they're in a restaurant. So they're sitting in the restaurant. And of course, ironically in the back, there's a song by Brenda Lee, I'm sorry. So that's like playing in the background. And the two of them are kind of sitting awkwardly looking at each other. And Tommy asks his friend Richard, he says, hey, uh, do, you, do I have a mark on my face? It hurts. Don't, and, and Richard, no, I don't see anything. I mean, not so much, right, you've seen that, right? Not so much here or here, but right in here. No, you look good. You know, ship shape. The absurdity of that is what we do if we ignore the responsibility of wisdom. If Solomon looked at life and he looked into your life and looked into mine and you see this huge bruise across your face and you say, hey, how do I look? He says, yeah. You look pretty good. He is ignoring the responsibility that he has to tell the truth. We are to live responsibility. If we're going to live a life without regrets, we need to live responsibly. Let me give you three kind of bullet points of what living responsibly look like. A responsible person faithfully teaches knowledge. Solomon says that those who have lived long, experienced life now have a duty to be able to push that forward and look into the next generation. The goal ought to be keeping future generations from making the same mistakes that they made. The youth, teenagers, even older, were ignorant enough to think that we got it figured out. I'm ignorant enough to think that I've got it figured out. There are people in this room that ought to be keeping me and you accountable to make sure that we are not doing that. So the youth pretend they don't need the help. And then the wise, they assume that no one wants to listen to them. And that is just not the case. Most young people are afraid to go and talk to that old person and get their opinion or get that wisdom and that counsel. They're afraid, they don't think that they're going to be willing to be able to share with them. Older folks don't think they have anything wise to offer. And that is just not the case. Today, these trends must change. In this church, anyway, they ought to change. If you're someone older in this room, you ought to be taking someone under your wing and saying, hey, look, you've got a big bruise on your face. It doesn't look pretty. And we need to get you through this and talk you through this. 
Young people, you need to be looking for someone who is willing to do that for you. Be willing to make a phone call, to be able to set up a coffee and say, will you, will you just help me walk through this situation that I'm going through? A responsible person faithfully teaches knowledge. Secondly, a responsible person carefully studies God's Word. As Solomon is talking here, you know that he has poured himself into Scripture again and again. He says here he wrote thousands of Proverbs. If you read a proverb a day, if you make your way through and you work your way through in a month's time, then you fire back through again. Every single time you go through that, there's something new there. There's something that hits you right between the eyes because that's what a proverb does. Proverb is using just this small truth, an earthly saying maybe, but it's going to contain a heavenly truth that just has power to it. And Solomon wrote thousands of them. He did not merely share with people the first thing that came to his mind either. He spent time, it says that he chose his words wisely. Communication is not just about getting the information out there, about clicking send button, but making sure that information, that communication is received. That's what true communication is about. So he changed his methods. He picked his words wisely. He, he moved through those things. He's very selective so that when people would read it, so when we read it more than 3,000 years later, it makes sense and it's actually applicable to us today, right now. A responsible person carefully studies God's word. A responsible person effectively communicates. They're making sure that the words that they choose, making sure that the time that is spent in, in saying these things is heard. It's not wasted. And what is being said is rooted in God's word. So how do we live life without regrets? Live realistically live responsibly, and then live reverently. And this is really the point that this entire Meaning of Life series has been driving us towards. Verse 13 of chapter 12. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Here we go. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear and obey God. This is God's basic necessity. This is what God wants. Live life with this basic. Fear God. Everything begins and ends, rises and falls, succeeds and fails based on your fear of God. Proverbs 1 says, And the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of God is the beginning. After that, that's your foundation. You start there. Without that foundation, you're chasing something else. Wise counsel, ample resources, relational support, and even knowledge itself are of no help if you do not start with the foundation that you have to fear God before anything else moves. To fear God is just that, to live with a constant, deep belief that God sees all and he knows all and that you will have to one day give an account to him. To fear the Lord is to consider God above everything and everyone else. Here's some questions you might be asking yourself if you're someone who fears God. What does the Bible say about that? Is that a leading question that you ask? What does the Bible say about that? Or where are the godly people that I could seek for counsel on this? How can I best glorify God in this situation? What does God want me to do? 
If your default is that you do not fear God, that you fear someone else instead, someone like a coworker, your parents, your friends, your spouse, and you find that you are fearing them instead. It wasn't intentional. You didn't start out there, but you are fearing that rather than fearing God. Here's, here's some of the questions you're probably asking yourself instead. You're saying, what do other people think? Or how do I find someone who agrees with what I'm saying? How do I hide this from God and the godly people around me? What do other people want me to do? If you're asking yourself those questions, you are fearing others rather than fearing God. Who do you fear? Who is it that you require the approval of before you take the next step? Whose criticism or rejection is going to keep you from taking that next step? step. The basis of all that we do, the foundation, says Proverbs 1, 7, and all that we do is that we fear God, that we live reverently. This week, we went out uh, with my father-in-law on a boat, and he loves to go different places around Buffalo, and one of his favorite places to go is the Niagara River. He likes the way that it goes around the falls and if, or around the Grand Island, uh, but if you're in that area, if you've ever been in the water in there, uh, it's, it's a beautiful spot. You make your way up and down. You see all the different houses on the water. It's pretty neat. We were out there, and for the first time, we've never done this before, but I was in the, so we stopped the boat. We usually stopped the boat, turn off the engine, and just let it kind of float downstream for a while, and we fired up and go back home. And then we all kind of jumped in the water. So this is the first time that we had ever allowed my son, Elias, who's two years old, to get, let him get in the water with us. And so we put the life jacket on him and everything else, and I'm in the water. And as he kind of jumps off into daddy's arms, I realize, wait a minute, we have never tested that life jacket. Like that life jacket is an old kind of crusty, moldy life jacket. It's been a while since it's been used, since the older kids were that age. And, and he's coming in the water, and he's coming in the water right now. And there he is. And boy, that life jacket better work. And so I didn't have a life jacket on. I'm kind of swimming. And it was surprising to me, and it, caught, it took my breath away how quickly, body weight-wise and different things like that, he was lighter. It just just a second, and he was a little bit farther away from me than I liked. So I swam after him, got him, pulled him in. Why, why would I have that type of anxiety that is starting to build up? Why would that start to be an issue? Because there's Niagara Falls at the other end of the thing. <laughs> if he gets to a certain point where I can't, I mean, listen, we're way upstream. But it's still there. It's still there. I have a reverence for Niagara Falls. Do you have a reverence for Niagara Falls? Get in the Niagara River and see if you have a reverence for Niagara Falls. It's out there. It's waiting for you. Imagine a similar situation being out there on a boat and you're moving towards the falls and you're in the water and usually men, this would probably apply to us more, or teenage boys, and you just want to prove that you're the last guy to get back in the boat. And you're floating closer and closer and closer to the falls. At what point does your fear of the falls get to be bigger than your fear of people laughing at you or your fear of the guys on the boat? 
Because that's really what our life kind of comes down to, is we, we assume that we've got this balance in place where I, I just have to balance what they think of me compared to what's really eminently up ahead. And the, the reality of that is you, you are totally out of control there. You are so far beyond the scope of what you have any control over. Why do you have a fear of the people who are there looking at you in the boat that is greater than Niagara Falls, which is downstream? I revere Niagara Falls. Uh, we are told here that we are to revere and fear God. Fearing God is good. It saves us from caving into our sinful nature. That is why hearing someone who is God-fearing person speak is actually a beautiful thing. We say, that, that, God, that guy fears God. I want to be around them because I trust them more. They're more likely to keep their word. They're more likely to be kind to their neighbor. They're more likely to keep their promises. Fearing God means that we have come to grips with the fact that the Bible proclaims that we are spiritually dead and that our hearts are terminally diseased. When we fear God, we know that we need a Savior. In fact, Romans 3, it's a treatise or an essay that is all about sin and the sin nature that we carry. But when Paul writes Romans, he says that our chief sin, he lists a number of different ways that we get caught up into sin, but our chief sin in Romans chapter 3, verse 18, is that we have no fear of God at all. You can turn there if you'd like, Romans chapter 3, because where does that take us? Our only chance, the only way that we could possibly live a life without regrets is if we live redeemed in Jesus Christ. The only way that we could possibly live a life without regrets is if we live redeemed in Jesus Christ. When Solomon looks at everything under the sun, he's used his five senses, he's gone through all of that. He's studied everything that you could possibly study. And he's saying, there is something out there you need to be aware of. You need to pay attention to this. I hope that this study for you has been like a check engine light coming on in your car. There's some things that need to be dealt with. It can diagnose the problem. It can tell you that there's a problem. It can even tell you uh, what is going to happen if you don't deal with the problem. But it cannot deal with the problem. You have to go to the mechanic. You have to go to the Savior, Jesus Christ. You are not going to be able to deal with this just because you had a little twinge in your spirit during this series. Its function is to prod you and push you towards the Savior. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God lovingly created us. He made us in his own image so that we can display his glory and that we can really enjoy him and he enjoys us through how we live our lives. Yet we all, says all of us, rebel against his rule and choose instead to pursue our own enjoyment and our own glory. As a result, we find ourselves, as this verse says, spiritually dead in our sin, falling short of the glory of God. Now, why would you ignore a check engine light? Laziness? Or you think it's just going to go away? Well, if I turn the ignition off and I turn it back on, maybe it won't come on when I turn it back on. And then I can get my car inspected and then they won't have to tell me for the next year. The check engine light is on for a reason. There's an issue that needs to be dealt with. 
Maybe you don't have any knowledge of cars, and so that's why you don't deal with it. You say, well, I'll, I just don't want to think about that right now. Most likely, the reason why you don't deal with it is because you don't have the resources to fix the problem. You don't have the money. You don't have the time. You don't want to fix this problem right now. You don't have the resources. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. You're right. You don't have the resources. This check engine light that's flashing in your life right now, there's no way that you can deal with this issue in your life without the redeemed power of Jesus Christ. He says here that he, the redemption, you are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. You can ignore that check engine light. You can duct tape something together. You can reach underneath the dash and you can pull out the alarm and make sure that that's not there anymore. You can pull out the fuse and you can try to hide it, but the, that alarm is still there. And we try to treat sin this way. Rather than acknowledge our sin, we try to deal with the problems and, and the warning signs and just make the warning signs go away rather than deal with it. When we do this, we attempt to deal with everything under the sun. And when we attempt to deal with things under the sun, what has Solomon taught us? It's all meaningless. It's all a waste of time. The only way it's going to have lasting significance, the only way we're going to get there, rather than doing the one thing that we need to do, which is to repent, which is to repent. So, if you could go back, and if you could tell yourself and talk to yourself, what would you tell you you should tell yourself, God knows better than you. God knows better than you. Live without regrets. Live redeemed in Jesus Christ. Give it to him today. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for your word, for the truths that are spoken there. Lord, as we, as we look here and we see all have come short, Lord, that's every single one of us. And sometimes we get it in our minds that we're gonna be the one who's going to sin and get away with it. No, our actions have consequences. Lord, this has been a rich and powerful book. And as we've gone through it, Lord, it continues to point us back to you. We need to fear God. And yet, that's the chief sin. That's the one that we can't quite get a hold of. Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to take that step to repent, Lord, to find redemption in you. Lord, I pray that you would give them the boldness to do that. Lord, I pray that there would be those in the room that would be willing to look at their friend and their neighbor and say, you've got a bruise on your face. There's some things in your life that you are not going to be able to fill without Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We know that it's sharper than two-edged sword. We know that it pierces asunder. I pray that it's piercing hearts this morning. And we thank you in advance for what that will do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.